You're listening to Gifted with Sheila White, a podcast that will inspire you. Its purpose is to uplift and entertain creatives to pursue their passions through their gifts. Sheila White is a film and television producer, author, and entrepreneur. And in each episode, Sheila talks with gifted individuals about their journey and the lessons they've learned. It will also inspire you to make an impact, living your best purpose-driven life with clarity. And now, here's your host, Sheila White. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Gifted. I'm really excited today. You know, in a world of change, complexity, overwhelming competition, we need to be able to hear from someone that is very relevant with the issues that are going on in our world today and in our communities. Well, my guest today is a catalyst for change. He's a person that is making the difference right there on the front lines. And what he does is he has overcome his own challenges and he's reaching out to other people to be able to help them. Now, in a lot of communities and a lot of places around the world, especially in America, Humanity Relief is an organization that is a non-for-profit organization that resettles refugees, asylum seekers, survivors of domestic violence and survivors of human sex trafficking in the Chicagoland area. These are problems that are worldwide. And we need as a community to join hands with other communities, with other nations around the world to help combat these problems that are going on. And one of the great things about my guest today is he helps individuals with basic household goods, supplying cleaning supplies, hygiene items, budget laptops, for adult members of resettlement families, and he helps them with ESL classes. There's so much that he's doing. There's a lot that we have to talk about today, and I'm really excited. And also, he helps people every Saturday for at 12 o'clock on the south and west sides of Chicago. This is a person that literally is on the front line. He is a person that is concerned about humanity, hence the name of his organization, Humanity Relief. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. When he was younger, Ali had been through a transitional housing program with his mother. And as he got older, he felt obligated to help others in the way that his family was helped. And at an early age of 19, much like a lot of college students today, Ali started to become more and more aware of the social issues around him. And he knew that he couldn't help everyone, but he wanted to help as many people as he can, helping alleviate some of the suffering that he was seeing of many individuals. And he also got involved in volunteering at charities um, that assisted refugees in South Af in East Africa and in the Middle East and South Asia. So this is an individual that has been doing, moving, shaking, helping people around the world. And after graduating and volunteering, he began working with charities in several, for several years and he felt compelled to leave the corporate environment and to start his own nonprofit organization, which is helping people regardless of the race, creed, color, or religion. I just think that if everybody was with us today in live in studio, we put our hands up and give a warm applause for an individual that is making a difference. My guest today, welcome, Mr. Ali Khan. Welcome, Hi, sir. Thank you so much for having me. You know what? There is so much that we could say in the, in the in the light of what's going on today i want to talk a little bit about 
what's going on, not only in Chicago, but what's going on in Texas and California and a lot of places around the world. Let's just talk about the problem because some people don't watch the news and they're not aware. And then, and, and when they see the news, they have kind of a, a slated vision of what's really going on. So I want to start with you and say, what are some of the numbers of some of the refugees, some of the asylum seekers, people coming to these different states around the United States? So help people to kind of gauge how serious this problem is and literally what are they running from? Um, so I'm sure many people have heard um, at least a little bit about um, the asylum seeker crisis, the migrant crisis, the border crisis. It's referred to, you know, in a bunch of different ways. So there are, you know, individuals coming from places like Venezuela, Nicaragua, Guatemala, uh, even people from places like Kyrgyzstan um, and all over the place that travel all the way to Mexico to cross there. And these are people who are fleeing circumstances that, most of us don't see, you know, from uh, trafficking to uh, government persecution, like state torture, uh, you know, to crazy prices for basic necessities. Um, nobody would leave and risk their family and, you know, take such a journey unless they were not in like a dire circumstance. And so the southern border has seen thousands and thousands. We ourselves have seen thousands of asylum seekers come in on the wave of buses uh somewhere between i think five and ten thousand at least which are um you know that we know of right, uh, and right. that's a mix of people that are staying at police stations that were bused uh over from texas to uh states like illinois uh you know in new york and all these different places. And uh, those people are staying at police stations, they're sleeping on floors, they're sleeping outside, they're sleeping in empty spaces, um, setting up like refugee camp style uh, places in, in empty fields. Um, and then some of them are lucky enough, they go from being at police stations to uh, getting picked up to go to shelters. And, um, you know, they stay at the shelters. There's a lot of different places now that are housing 500 to 1,000 asylum seekers with them just one facility uh, from, you know, the far north side to the south side to the west side. Their um, communities all over are, um, you know, giving uh, space to them, which is a great thing. We've, you know, beside we've seen a lot of um, negativity towards asylum seekers, but we've also seen a lot of welcoming individuals, people who are sacrificing a lot to help them. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, these individuals will go from police stations to shelters to transitional housing. Um, and that's kind of um, a little bit about uh, what you were talking about doing the distributions. Mm -hmm. And then we also furnish the apartments. So a lot of the individuals that we're helping are not just people at the shelters, but we're seeing them go through the process. Uh, we're furnishing the apartments for them. We're, we're putting them in classes. We're seeing how they're, um, you know, going from having absolutely nothing to just build, building their lives step by step. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, there's there's thousands of people like that. There's women, there's pregnant women, there's children, there's children with um, unbelievable conditions. Uh, just um, last in the last two weeks, I think at District 8, the bathrooms were shut down and um, around 60 asylum seekers, including 30 children, were told to use one porta potty. Uh, and this woman was arrested there whose son had uh, a cleft lip condition uh, for attempting to use the bathroom inside. 
And, um, you know, so we went over there and we handed a bunch of stuff out and we saw that there's like three porta potties out there and stuff. But uh, j just to give you an idea, because I know a lot of us are hearing about it and we're, you know, some of us may drive past like police stations and see big groups. And, you know, once you get out there and you talk to these people, <coughs> excuse me, mm -hmm. you learn about their conditions. There is not uh, almost a single person that doesn't have a very unfortunate story about why they're here, you know. And, 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 and speaking of that, um, what are some of the conditions maybe in the countries that they're leaving? I mean, is it governmental type of pressures, um, just, you know, poverty? Um, what are some of the conditions that they're leaving from in these large numbers? Because a lot of people don't understand, um, you know, while they're crossing over the border, they know that America is, you know, the land, home of the brave, land of the free, so to speak, and there's prosperity here. But when you say risking your family, your children, and things like that. Um, what are some of the that you know of from the stories that you heard? Some of the reasons that people are risking their very life and their family's life to come to America. Uh, there's uh, un, there's so many different stories. Uh, I could give you an example uh, of a family from Guatemala that uh, we had resettled a while back, and um, she was basically. Um, a trafficking survivor who had children and uh, she was not able to receive the help in her country because her country is already very uh, unstable, right? So these places that we're talking about, like Venezuela, um, there's not just government corruption there, but there's also sanctions on these places that, you know, that uh, we're trying to hurt their bigger leaders. But unfortunately, the people at the bottom are being deprived of like food and medicine. And so there, I'm sure we've all heard stories in Venezuela where toilet paper costs from like 10 to $20 and people are standing in line. So th th those are the types of things, you know, like people who are in unfortunate circumstances are ending up in even worse circumstances. And uh, sometimes they have no choice but to come over here, you know, and even on their journey over here, uh, like the lady I was talking about, uh, she she ended up being uh basically trapped in a household in Chicago before she was rescued uh, by someone, you know, who had taken advantage of her situation and posed as someone who was going to help her. So, the, you know, and this lady had three kids. Uh, there, we have a whole documentary about her, too, on our homepage. Uh, it's, you know, it's one of, I don't want to get into too many details, but it's yeah, yeah. one of many unfortunate stories, you know, especially with women and children, you know, there's a big misconception that it's large groups of men that are kind of coming in and wow. there's, you know, but there, there are lots of women and children who are going through circumstances that we even as adults can, are not going through, could not imagine to go through, you know. Now you, you mentioned sex trafficking. I think a lot of people aren't aware of how big a problem this is, not only in the Chicagoland area, but literally worldwide. And, and, and this is one of the dangers that people have coming here being mistreated, especially the women and even children. Um, let's talk a little bit about how widespread this sex trafficking problem is because a lot of people think it's in another third world country. It's not necessarily happening in their backyard um, here in the United States or in their city, but this is a big problem. And um, you know, so let's talk a little bit about how big this is, this problem is in um, I want to say America, but it's worldwide, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
we all hear stories about, you know, people going overseas and things happening to them. And I'm sure to a certain extent, this stuff does happen more overseas, but it is happening right over here. It's happening right in our backyard. We're resettling families, uh, you know, almost on a weekly basis that are either domestic violence survivors, uh, human and sex trafficking survivors, refugees, asylum seekers. And one thing that I think um, even I have learned over time doing this work is that a lot of these um scenarios are connected right um so you can be a refugee you can be an asylum seeker and you can unfortunately end up also being a domestic violence survivor or a trafficking survivor right so uh, a lot of these issues are not necessarily separate you know uh and, and that's why we help all of these families if you list them all out it sounds like it's a lot of different people but essentially what we're doing is resettling families that are all in you know, different dire situations. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, well, the, the lady that I was talking to you about uh, was not just a, a traffic, a human trafficking survivor. She was a sex trafficking survivor. Wow. Uh, we have another client that we had resettled uh, in the suburbs who, because of being sex trafficked, she had unfortunately given birth to a child, uh, a beautiful child, but yeah. unfortunately with some defects, you know, and she had um, carried she's probably still carrying this guilt, you know, like uh, she, she was in our classes and, uh, you know, she would talk to me and our teachers about how she just always felt bad, you know? And like I said, these people are in bad situations and they go from bad to worse. And a lot of times they blame themselves because, you know, there's women with children, they're responsible for not just their own futures, but their children. And, you know, like all of us, we all love our children. And, you know, we, if we make mistakes, we, we blame ourselves for it, you know? Yeah, you know, and you brought up a really important point because the parents are going through difficulties. The women are going through difficulties, the children as well. What is the, that you know of is our government doing besides maybe allowing them to come over? Because a lot of people aren't aware of what's happening at the federal level or at the state level to offer any assistance besides just giving them a tent. Is there anything that we could be more aware of that they're doing to help the asylum seekers and um, the people that are coming over here? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think that, you know, everyone would agree that we would like to see the government do more, but, yeah, um, yeah. and it has been a long time since, you know, asylum seekers are staying at police stations and that's causing mm -hmm. various problems, a lot of confliction, but we've seen a good amount of asylum seekers move over to um, shelter facilities like mass shelter facilities um, they are talking about making kind of like these um, indoor style camps so I think the city for the most part is really focusing on um, getting them out of the police stations and, and if they do have to live in places in big numbers where they can at least live in like humane conditions with mm. bathrooms and not have to be outdoors so I yeah. think that's kind of currently where we, we're at uh, the biggest thing is that um, they have been authorized to work and this was, I think, just last week. So that's that's really the piece that everybody's been waiting for. You know, every time we go over there, uh, they always talk about, um, you know, being able to work uh, if we can give them work. And they, uh, the asylum seekers are eager to work. Everyone wants them to work. Uh, They're going to be a, a big benefit to the economy, actually, right now, because now we have thousands and thousands of people who are going to be employed. Uh, so. Th that's the piece that's going to help them kind of move out of facilities, move into transitional housing apartments, you know, work with case managers to kind of just 
save up money, you know, and that's where organizations like Humanity Relief come in, where we want them to be able to save money and have upward mobility. So that's why we provide, you know, furniture and household goods, hygiene, cleaning supplies. So um, I think that everyone is doing a little bit of their part. And, you know, it's unfortunate to see them still being at police stations right now, but there is progress being made. You know, okay. it's it's just unfortunately not that fast. You know? Wow. Um, what experiences made you want to start a non-for-profit? Because a lot of people see something, they may donate, but they're not necessarily going into uh, an organization, you know, doing a non-for-profit or anything like that. They just will donate things like a church may give food or take something by some of the asylum seekers um, and things like that and some of the refugees, but they're not necessarily starting an organization. And so what made you um, want to start a non-for-profit? Um, so <laughs> it's kind of a long story and I'm, I'm sorry I shut my video off here. It's getting a little shaky. I don't want to have my voice disconnect. I feel like that's more important. But um, so, you know, you were talking a little bit about how when I was younger in my early teens, I had gone through transitional housing with my mother and uh, my siblings, you know, and uh, we went through uh, a program with a organization in the suburbs and they helped us for like a two, two and a half period where much like our programs today, they provided us an apartment, they furnished it for us. They helped my mother with case management. Okay. Uh, and, you know, we went through that and that was, that really helped us make it, especially for my mom, you know? Uh, and when we were done, I was very grateful because I was the oldest sibling and I had seen everything that my mom had gone through, you know, and, uh, you know, I watched my siblings and, you know, we all had a big, great sacrifice in there and we were very grateful to them. And so I wanted to get involved more, you know, I wanted to, I felt like I should give back. And um, I started volunteering in my um, first two years of college. Uh, you know, I, I worked with an organization uh, where we filled shipping containers filled with like food and medicine. Uh, they would send it overseas. I even went overseas to refugee camps with them. Um, you know, I got my friends involved there as, as a group. And eventually I started um, interning uh, at an associated organization there uh, while I was in school. And um, eventually I had graduated and my internship had ended and I had a lot of pressure on me from my family uh, to go into corporate. And so I did go into corporate, even though non-for-profit was a big uh, passion of mine. Yeah. Um, and once I did go into corporate, <laughs> it wasn't really for me. I was, to be very frank, very depressed. You know, wow. I just, I couldn't wow. do it. Uh, after seeing all the things that I had seen and go going through those personally, yeah. I couldn't pretend that there's not people out there that I couldn't be helping. I know that oh. I'm just one person, but in the past five, you know, five and a half years and even, you know, four or five years of working with other charities, I'm sure we've helped thousands and thousands of people at this point. I'm just one person. So mm -hmm. uh, everyone can make a difference. Anyone can make a difference. You know, mm -hmm. it was tough for me after um, I got a job. I had ended up quitting it. Um, I drove for Uber and Lyft for like two and a half years. Wow. Uh, I could wow. even start paying myself like a very small wage. I'm not, even wow. now, I'm not making wow. anywhere near a living wage. But mm. it has been a journey. You know, it's been uh, more than blood, sweat and tears. Uh, not just the quitting your job part and how difficult it can be financially. But even the work we're doing is very tough because we're picking up, you know, large donations and like mm -hmm. sofas and beds and tables. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, it's been 
it's been a journey. There's been a lot of difficulties, but I think wow. that um, I have, I've never worked harder in my life, but I've never felt more uh, fulfilled. You That's know, you, you mentioned that you put your, your, your college, your corporate job, and you decided to go, um, you know, with the non-for-profit and things, helping different people. And, and it was more a bigger undertaking than I'm sure that you realized at the time. Uh, what are some of the difficulties that you have faced maybe in the last five years of running a non-for-profit, trying to do what you're doing with Humanity Relief? Because um, it's not easy. <laughs> you know, it could be long hours. It could be hearing some very grueling stories. Um, it, it's heart-wrenching, you know, type of things. And um, people that are social workers, they hear these types of stories all the time. But people that decide to go from corporate, just helping people in this sense, sometimes they're not mentally and emotionally prepared for that strain that it can take. So so what has been some of the difficulties you faced in these last few years of trying to run this organization? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I could go <laughs> on and on, really. But um, I think some of the hardest things, um, you know, like many non-for-profits, especially one that starts from the ground up is funding. You know, yeah. we yeah. have so many different people to help. Uh, even now we have various families with children that are sleeping on the floor in empty apartments. Um, but there's only so much funding, right? Especially, yeah. yes. um, you know, after times like COVID and now when everything is so expensive, mm-hmm. um, it's really difficult to um, get donors with how many different organizations there are and yes. kind of yes. retain donors. Mm-hmm. Um, and besides just individual donations, building you know, uh, relationships with, uh, foundations and, um, you know, like local government and, uh, applying for grants, uh, rigorously and just kind of showing everyone, you know, posting weekly, all the work that we're doing that, Hey, we're serious about what we do. We're the real right. deal. Please right. support us. Um, it, it's, you know, it's very competitive and mm-hmm. re- there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work and it's yes. Um, yes. hard to show why your work is the one that deserves to, get it you know so you really have to um get out there and you know put your work boots on and i even though i'm the executive director i'm the one who's driving the cargo van i'm the one who's you know lifting sofas and doing distributions and thankfully i have a great board you know and uh, a lot of great volunteers that are super supportive uh it it would be difficult to do this completely by yourself so but yeah it's um the funding aspect is very difficult Wow. Now, let's talk about some of the positive experiences you've had with uh, the Humanity Relief, because um, you, you've heard stories. You've, there's some triumphs. There's there's somebody that probably has shared with you how this has just made a difference in their life, that they may have a new start um, and that they're grateful for just this new beginning. Um, so can you share some of the positive experiences that you found out um, since working with Humanity Relief? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I was saying, uh, I've never worked harder, but I've never felt more fulfilled. Right. So you're going into these families homes, um, you're, you know, and you're making multiple trips, you're seeing the progress, you know, they're joining the remote ESL classes, we're providing the laptops They're working Mm -hmm. with the teachers, you can see um, how almost on a day to day basis, you are the one who is a reason for improving their life. And that um is is a blessing really you know uh to you know we we give and you know it's great that we're doing them a favor or whatnot but we also do a little bit for ourselves right and Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. my uh my mental health has been excellent 
ever since I've started the not-for-profit. It's been hard because I'm very stressed about, you know, how to run things. But then when you see that you're doing good work, you know, you just get out there, you do the effort and everything works out because there's just so many families out there that need it, you know. And like Mm -hmm. I was saying, you know, we we, we go into these families' homes, you know, we we see them build up, we see their kids going to school with backpacks, sleeping on beds, you know, with dignity, wearing clean clothes, um, having products to clean their home, themselves, having food. Uh, that can make a big difference for someone that just left a shelter and they have to live in an empty apartment for months and months if someone doesn't come in and step in. It feels like somebody else will take care of it. You know, like we all kind of put it off on the next person. But the reality is that there's, you know, there's children sleeping on floors, wearing just the same couple of pairs of clothes, uh, sharing backpacks and shoes. Uh, It's unbelievable. I mean, we're a first world country and people would be very, very surprised to see some of the conditions that people are living in. I mean, cram basements on dirty mattresses on the floors. I mean, uh, and not, not just men, like I said, you know, women and children, young children. Mm, that's just so sad to hear. And I think a lot of people aren't thinking about it. Like you said, someone is saying it's someone else's problem. Let someone else take care of it. And that's one of the issues that 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 reason why we wanted to talk about this today, because there are so many people out there that need help. Um, people that are not only the asylum seekers, domestic violence, there's just a lot going on in our world today of change, complexity, overwhelming competition, as you mentioned, with organizations that are just kind of bartering for the finances out there and the uh, different type of items that can be donated. Um, there's so much, but yet it's still not enough and things like that. And this is not something that's going away tomorrow or next week. This seems to be something that's going to be in the faces of everyone um, for quite some time now. And so, like you said, we wish that the federal government and the states could do more. But I know they're probably doing what they can do. But at the same time, um, it takes people like yourself, Ali, to be able to step up and to be able to help um, our human um, fellow brothers and sisters out there and the children and things like that. Um, it's really, really important that people that are listening today um, to this podcast be able to um, help Humanity Relief. How can they support your organization? How can they get in contact with you um, to be able to donate items to cleaning supplies, hygiene items, you know, laptops, basic household goods? Um, How can they get in contact with you to be able to distribute or to be able to help Humanity Relief? Uh, so there are uh, lots of ways people can go to humrelief.org, H-U-M-R-E-L-I-E-F.org. Uh, we have a contact us page if they want to do something like uh, hold a drive within their community. Um, if they, you know, uh, just want to collect items themselves and they want us to come and pick them up, uh, you know, just fill out the contact us page. Uh, let us know when and where. Uh, you can also uh, drop items off to our office at 1020 West Bryn Mawr Avenue, Suite 202. That's uh, basically right off the Bryn Mawr ramp over there in Edgewater. Um, there's, you know, you can go on the website, you can donate. Uh, there's, you know, through uh, PayPal that we have there. You can donate on our Facebook, Instagram pages. You can sell us. Uh, you can collect blankets, jackets uh, by yourselves if you you know want to do that inside your own home and you feel like they're in good condition. Uh, if you have furniture items that are you know in newer condition, uh, you can contact us to donate that. Uh, I think there's you know lots of different ways to get involved. You can not just donate on our website, but you can also sign up to volunteer. 
Uh, mm. There is a volunteer tab. If you put in, uh, you know, your information, email number, all that, you will receive a text and an email about volunteer opportunities from the distributions that we were talking about to the apartment furnishings. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Different ways to communicate folks out there. So if you um, feel the need to help this crisis that's really going on, um, be a part of the solution and not be a part of the problem, just talking about it and things like that. Um, my guest today has been Ali Khan. He's an individual that is the founder and director of Humanity Relief, helping organizations, helping asylum seekers, helping domestic violence situations, self-trafficking individuals that have been coming here um, in record numbers. He's trying to make a difference and he is making a difference. And he gave the information where some of the items that you can donate, um, you can get in contact with him. I just want to thank, um, one thing I want to ask you about is the mobile distributions. Uh, before we go, because I know that there, you know, it's like on Saturdays at noon that you do something. I want you to mention that for people that may want to go by there to get some help as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so our distributions don't just help asylum seekers. Uh, they also help the homeless. That's actually what we were primarily doing before the asylum seeker crisis started. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So if you uh, go ahead and, uh, and sign up on the volunteer page, um, it will send you all that information about we do it every Saturday at noon, but it's a different location. It's going to be a homeless shelter or a police station. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, if you're an asylum seeker, or homeless individual or, you know, someone in that neighborhood that's going through a tough circumstance because it is primarily on the south and west side, uh, you can show up to these places and uh, we will definitely go ahead and make you a care package. I, I thank you so much. I, it's a pleasure talking to you. I'm excited to know about your organization. Um, it's it's a heartfelt thing. It's really a heartfelt thing because you see this happening on the news. You drive past the police stations. You see the tents. And other than just doing something, you don't know what all you can do. You don't really know how bad the situations are. And because they don't talk about that in the news, they just say that this is people are coming over here and they're putting them here in the airports and things. But they don't talk about those stories that are behind the scenes and things like that. And so I just want to thank you, Ali, for being our guest today, helping us be aware of this crisis situation, but also helping us to know that there are people that are caring, that are trying to make a difference, that are doing something. Because like you said, some people don't know what to do and some people are like, it's someone else's problem, but you're standing in the gap, making a difference for the homeless, as well as for people that are coming over here. And you are to be commended and a pat on the back for that. Um, I just want to thank our guests for listening today. If you did not hear this entire broadcast, I want you to visit our website at www.road2eternity.net. Ali Khan's information will be on there. Information will be on there about Humanity Relief, where you can be able to contact him, send in donations, financial donations. They need money to be able to keep this going, as well as donated items. Um, and so his information will be on there. Um, I want you to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your family and friends. We want to make sure that people know about humanity relief and we want to make sure that people are doing whatever they can do as an organization or as an individual. Um, I want to thank you, Ali, because you are a person that is uniquely designed and strategically gifted. Thank you for using your gifts to impact the world. Uh, thank you, Sheila. Uh, those are words that, uh, many people in the non-for-profit sector need to hear to keep going. So I, I 
genuinely appreciate not just your kind words, but the work that you're doing, that you're helping small non-for-profits like us that, you know, most of our money is going towards our programs and we don't really have money to turn out towards advertising. This is a great opportunity. Jill, what you're doing is also really great. Thank you so much for having me today. And we're also having you on another podcast, another uh, radio show on Sunday. So we're looking forward to talking with you again on this coming Sunday to talk a little bit more about Humanity Relief and some of the other things that you are doing as a person of the week and the organization of the week. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Gifted with Sheila White. We hope you understand how your gifts can make an impact on the world. Gifted with Sheila White is produced by Road to Eternity, a film and television production company.